Robin Trower is one of the great British rock guitarists. For over 40 years, Robin has assembled a critically acclaimed, commercially successful, and massively influential body of work that is still expanding today. His many musical achievements could fill the pages the size of a novel, but suffice it to say, in the space of a four-decade-long career, he has sold millions of records, has worked with artists as varied as Prokol Haram, Jack Bruce, and Brian Ferry, and yet has remained a modest, unassuming, and thoroughly real-deal artist. Inside Music House welcomes the legendary Robin Trower. Hey, Robin, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. Good, good, good. Hey, you know, it's a, it's a pleasure to have you here in, uh, inside MusicCast, and we want to thank uh, your manager, Dave uh, Maida, for allowing us this opportunity. Absolutely. Uh, he's a good guy. Yeah, <laughs> thanks, Dave. And, and uh, you know, you've been a powerful and respected uh, influencer uh, in, a, in guitar-based rock for such a, a long time, and, and having released almost 25 albums, your new album, uh, What Lies Beneath, delivers such a fresh and soulful body of work, and, mm-hmm. and we just wanted yeah. to congratulate you on this, on this effort. Thank you very much. I yeah. appreciate that. <laughs> hey, you were here in Indianapolis, um, you know, just uh, uh, several days ago on your current U.S. tour. How has the tour been for you so far, Robin? Well, it's been great, actually. Huh? Uh, we've had re- really um, strong turnouts mm-hmm. everywhere we've played, and... Um, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. You've been traveling with a four-person band, is that correct? That's right. And uh, the same band, obviously, that uh, that traveled with you, I believe, in, in 08. Correct. And uh, and if I'm correct, I mean, you, the the members are, of course, Davey Patterson on vocals, and um, who you've been working with him quite a bit. How uh, I, I've worked with him on and off since the 80s. Yeah, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Well, he played with you on even on your 86 album, Passion, back then. And after leaving uh, Gamma for a while, he's a Scottish guy, isn't he? That's right. He's from uh, he's from Glasgow. Yeah. And then also you have Glenn Letch on, on bass, who's obviously played with Therry from Jonathan Cain and Neil Schoen and, and others. And, and lastly, Pete Thompson on drums, who's also an Essex guy. Is that correct? Yes, he comes from my neck of the woods. And um, again, I've, I've been sort of playing with him on and off since the 80s, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, as as you're touring, of course, you're on the West Coast right uh, right now. Um, what does the, the, you know, right after this uh, uh, this leg of your tour, um, where will you be heading right after that? I, I almost saw some of the notes that you might be heading to Europe also. That's right. I'm um, actually doing um, a few dates in Europe with Jack Bruce. Me and Jack are going out uh, doing some stuff in the summer. Mm-hmm. Um. And then I'm back over into the States in September. Yeah, neat. Very good. You know, to record uh, What Lies Beneath, you used a, a different group of, of session musicians. There, is there a, tell us the difference between why you wanted a certain group of musicians for the, the record, and then, uh, and then, of course, for touring, you're using a slightly different band. Well, um, there's the practicality of the fact that um, Glenn and Pete live in America, uh-huh. and I was recording in in. England. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. okay. Uh, that that is the the main thing. It's just that um, when you're doing um, an album, you don't always know when you're going to need people to come in because it depends how how stuff's going. You sure, know? sure. So um, you, it's really comes down to the fact that it's necessary to have use local uh, musicians so that you can call them up and say, "Can you, can yeah, you sure, come right. in and, and do a day?" Mm-hmm. Or two days, you sure. know, next week or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any, uh, and also, um, the reason uh, also to use uh, the bass player I used is because Livingston Brown, um, who's who's been my bass player uh, over various periods, um, sure. 
was the producer. Right. So he produced and uh, he recorded it and he played bass on it. Yeah. When, when, when did you first originally, even prior to his working on this new project, I mean, you know, when did you first cross paths with, with Livy? Um, I, he, he became my bassist and uh, vocals. He did mm-hmm. bass and vocals for me in the 90s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, we made an album together called uh, 20th Century Blues. Sure. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I've worked with him on and off ever since then really yeah. yeah well you know being the reason i'm asking that is because because you have a sort of a rich history with livy and you know each other well and each other's musical styles and so forth um you know they say that typically producers um push an artist to new territories you know and uh, yeah and that an artist you know uh, in a place sometimes places where an artist typically doesn't go but being that your relationship was not necessarily a new one or you brought somebody from the outside and he's sort of a inside your 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 musical circle yeah how does he as a producer challenge you or, or? Um, i'm not sure he, he would challenge me because uh-huh. i'm i'm very very tough on myself okay um you know i i would push myself beyond where livy maybe was happy okay. with what i'd done and uh-huh. i'd come in another day and say no i've got to have another go at it you know yeah, you're right. that's the way it goes but you know he's got um fantastic ears uh-huh. and um his um his sort of ideas about feel and um, and stuff like that are, are invaluable when you, when you're you know the thing is it's very hard to be objective mm-hmm. about your own thing anyway so you do need someone who who can look at it from the outside a bit sure I wanted to go back uh, to the question I asked you a moment ago about the uh, studio musicians that you used on the new album uh, what lies beneath and yeah. uh, and the difference uh, you know obviously if you bring in uh, if you're bringing in these guys to record in the studio and then you're you've got the uh, a, a separate band that you're taking out on the road with you obviously you've already got the record down and, and you're, now you're going out to perform it mm-hmm. tell me about the differences that or the, the way you direct or produce these guys when they're on the road to capture that same feel that you have in the studio or on the album it, it was it was it a difficult challenge to get these guys sort of uh you know wrapped into the same sort no, of studio i mean the, the thing is that um they're such wonderful players that uh-huh. uh you know that, that they just come straight in and, and do it it's it's not I mean, you know, you might have to sort of uh, tip them here and point them there, but um, right, right. basically, you know, they get it, and uh, that's why they're playing with me. Yeah, mm-hmm. is because they get what I'm trying to do. You know, so there wasn't really much of a challenge in getting them where you needed them to be for the road. No, good. No, not at all. Not uh-huh. at all. I mean, you know, there's only a couple of things that we're doing off, off the new album anyway, so. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't have have a, enough rehearsal time really to to get any more things off sure, yeah. uh, for this tour. But, um, you know, and also I have to include, I like to include so many of the uh, of the songs that the fans want to hear. Yeah, mm-hmm. right, it right. doesn't leave a lot of space for new stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Well, obviously the years that you've been recording, it just, it gives you a, one heck of a discography of things to pull out that people actually are, are I mean, if you played all the favorites, I mean, you'd be there for two weeks, you know. <laughs> Let's face that. Well, that's very nice of you to say so, but there are sort of eight or so, yeah. I think, that, that really I I feel obliged to, pl- to play because, A, they're from such big-selling albums, and, um, mm-hmm. and, and B, you know, the, the people that come... Um, they they mostly fans because of my early work. Right, yeah. right. 
Um, you know, uh, speaking to that point, you know, you, you know, you talked about the, just the mere, the sheer maturity of the players that you're playing with. So they they come up to par pretty quickly and so forth. But 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 because of the the maturity and the musicianship of the people on stage presenting the music, you know, it's a it's a it's a sense that you know uh, these guys are good. These guys are accomplished. You know, my question is, as you approach this project, what lies beneath? How long did you actually work on the development? of the project I mean was it a very short time between no um, you know it takes a long time to write enough material for mm-hmm. for an album and I suppose you know I'll give you an example there's a couple of songs there that were four or five years old mm-hmm. that I'd written before um, even starting the new material for this album and there's also a couple of songs that I wrote while I was recording the album mm-hmm. so it, it's you know, it's just picking the right material for what you're doing at the time, really. Yeah. I mean, they, they weren't the only songs that I had, but it's just, you know, um, I wanted to, to to just do stuff that would all fit together well. Yeah. In regards to your writing, um, um, when you wrote new songs while recording the, the album, are you collaborating with Livy and, and other musicians, or what's the col- what's the actual collaboration of, of the new content? Uh, to do with the writing? Yeah. No, I, I wrote all the, all the things myself before yeah. I went into the studio. Right. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I have that side of it pretty much prepared, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I've got a very very good idea about how it how it should go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, one one track on the album that Eddie and I were both really uh, taken with was the track called "Once the Spell Is Broken." It's it's, all right. it's sort of a, it's sort of a bluesy, soulful track where you know you really dig deep and create a, a really cool emotion there, and and the, the vocals are really nice. I, I know. Speaking for Eddie, he yeah, really right. appreciated that yeah. too. And your uh, and, and the guitar solo on that, it just <laughs> practically talks to you. It's it's wonderful. Yeah, Thank really. you very much. Yeah. Well, that song, in actual fact, is one of the older songs. It was written for a film that I did the music for oh. uh, a few years before, three or four years earlier. What film? Uh, it was called The Good Humor Man. Okay. And I, I think it got shown on Showtime or, you know... Um, not a great release, but um, it's mm-hmm. been shown. Oh, cool. And, um, but that song, uh, even though I wrote it for the film, didn't get into the film. Now, that's one area of, uh, that Eddie and I really didn't think about asking you about, but have you done other work for, for soundtracks or for yeah. film? Mm-hmm. No, that's the only one I've ever done. And oh, I, really? I'm always hopeful that I'd get asked to do another one. You know, I really did enjoy it. It's a great creative challenge. Yeah. Eddie and I are privileged to have an advanced copy of Robin's new album, What Lies Beneath, which is due out on July 14th. And uh, here's a sample of the track we've been discussing. This is Once the Spell is Broken. So out of place 
Broken off the forthcoming album What Lies Beneath from today's guest, Robin Trower. Another great uh, track that uh, Eddie and I both enjoyed on that album was Freefall. Yeah. Uh, you create right. a, a really hard driving rhythm that uh, really alludes to a classic rock beat, and we, and we both really enjoyed that yeah, one as that well. Very nice. Great. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I'm pretty happy with all the tracks on it. I mean, uh, we worked really hard to get them all to work you know, to a standard, as it were. Um, and I think we pretty much pulled it off. Yeah, I think there's just a... What I appreciate about it, I guess, stepping back from the, the piece of work is, is uh, you listen to it and, and, and you do see variety, you do hear variety, you, you feel a different vibe in every track, but yet there's a, a lot of cohesiveness to the whole the whole project, and you can tell that as if you listen to it as an album, I think it it really holds together and nicely. And I'm of the old school where remember you know the the old days when songs weren't written for singles alone <laughs> to release the singles. I you know I can appreciate when songs hold together as an album where you can listen to it together and, and listen to rac- records the way we used to. You know. <laughs> yeah, I I I like to think of uh, of a CD. You know, um, uh, being uh, of a piece, as mm-hmm. it were, yeah. and um, something you you can listen to from start to finish without it, it one thing jarring against another. Um, and I, I think why that CD is like that is because um, it's all me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so therefore it's 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 just it's got that same vibe, even though the, the material is quite different from mm-hmm. song to song. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, exactly. got that same vibe throughout it, which sure. which is something that I'm really, really pleased with. Yeah. Hey, guys, uh, let's pause for a second here, and let's take a listen to the sample of this track we're talking about here. This is Free Fall.
sample of the track Free Fall from today's guest, Robin Trower, and this is from his uh, soon-to-be-released album called What Lies Beneath, which is due out very soon here on July 14th. You know, you've, you've been such an innovator for so many years uh, um, of a di- very distinct progressive rock sound through your career. And, you you know, you, you've probably seen and you've witnessed such a wide evolution of, of guitar-based rock sounds and style as they come and go. And it almost appears as if we've come back to full circle where the, you know, we've gone through the synthesizer, you know, uh, the 80s and 90s. And it almost seems to me as if we're back to the place where the three and the four-piece gu- guitar-based bands, they're once hitting the, the, the charts again, like. Like the re- retro vibe has worn out, and we're back to guitar-based music. You know what I mean? Yeah. And what do you um, think about that? Well, I, I don't know why it should happen, but um, mm-hmm. I think there's, there's something in in sort of, as you say, guitar-based yeah. um, music, popular music that 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 really does resonate with mm-hmm. with the public. Mm-hmm. And I think young musicians it resonates with them, and that's what they want to do. They want to to play guitar and and be in a band. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that that's always going to be a very, very strong contender in popular music, I think. You know, unfortunately, it's all getting a bit of a... It's, it's getting to be a bit of a retread. It is. Yeah, I, I'm just curious to know, just based on that same question, are there uh, are there groups out there today, other music that, that you're listening to, say, you know, newer bands from, say, the past, you know, five, ten years that, uh, that you've listened to that you've really mm-hmm. taken a liking to? Yeah. Um, not to the extent of, of actually wanting to buy it and put it on really? at home, but I, you know, there are the odd interesting things out there that, that yeah. have caught my ear. There's a band I saw on Glastonbury called, uh, Baby Shambles, uh-huh. which I thought was very interesting and something a bit different. Yeah. And they were, you know, sort of the, the guitar band sort of thing, but, um, I just thought the writing was, was interesting and inventive yeah do you feel that uh, with most popular music now stuff that you know is is in the forefront of you know i guess you could say radio or satellite or wherever people are listening um do you feel like writing is lacking that the actual uh, art of writing is 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 missing from today's music um i wouldn't say it's missing but um just not as, as effective as it once was yeah i just think think maybe it's just not as there's not as much creativity yeah um, do you think that's the fault of, of I mean not necessarily fault but do you think that has a lot to do with where uh, record companies are pushing bands these days or or is it just is it just timing is it just where we are as, as far as our attention spans as a, as a listening audience and yeah. what bands are bringing to us I think all these things are, are element, elements to it yeah um, but my feeling is that as far as popular music goes the best is behind us Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, even though there are some good things happening all the time, there's mm-hmm. always good things happening. I just feel um, the explosion of A, black music mm-hmm. in America. Right. B, rock and roll in America. Yeah. And then 
the sixties with uh, you know all, all all the sort of British creativity. Sure. Uh, I think it peaked. Mm-hmm. You know, and and being is it's such a um, it's it, it's a formulated and very narrow band anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I just feel like where can where can you go with it? Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, I mean, you, you know, this is an interesting. This is kind of a spinoff of that same question. But you've you've been, you know, in the industry and you've been playing and performing and touring for you know for the better part of uh, 40, 40 years. Yeah, and, and <laughs> but you're the perfect person to ask this question, though. You know, you've been all over the world and you've played. You've listened to yeah. music, you know, and and you know, and listened to bands, and you've kind of gotten a feel for what people want, you know, from country to country. I mean, is is the United States still sort of the the catalyst for what people are listening to worldwide? Um, it's not as important as it was. Yeah. You know, because you haven't had... It's a long time since you've had an important artist, really. Mm-hmm. What I would call a, uh, you know, sort of a world-changing... Sure. ...artist, you know. Uh, who was the last one, you know? Uh, Jimi Hendrix, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, and everything else... You know, there's there's some very, very fine musicians... You know, you think of sort of somebody like Prince. You know, very, very talented, but you don't sure. feel like there's anything that's that's changed mm. the way music is. I guess you could say, you know, uh, maybe even after Jimi Hendrix, as far as like worldwide ch- changing of music. You know, Michael Jackson certainly had an no, impact. No, not Michael Jackson. No, no, I don't think he did anything musically. I think he's you know a wonderful entertainer and a wonderful dancer and all sure. that. But no, um, no, uh, you know, before that. Uh, James Brown, I think, was another sort of genius that sure. changed changed the way we think about music. That's an interesting question. Now, now you've got me thinking here. I'm, I'm rattling a bunch of <laughs> artists in my head trying to figure out. Now I'm now I'm stumped. <laughs> and it's really funny. There's a, I don't know if you know this show, but there's a show here in the United States called uh, Real Time with Bill Maher. I don't know. If I, he, yeah, and yeah, just I've seen it. and just last night I was watching, and the same question was posed. And maybe that's why I ask you this. They he yeah. had he had the actor on Billy Bob Thornton. And yeah, he's a musician. He is, and they were talking yeah. about music, and he's, you know, it was almost the same topic. He said, think about it. Who who right now is mm-hmm. is, uh, is an artist that, uh, in popular music that's, that's really changing, you know, the scene? Who who are we going to talk about in, uh, 100 years from now? True, right. And, yeah. and, you know, he really, you know, outside of uh, maybe post-1975, you really couldn't think of too many. No, so that's, that's, well, I mean, not that I'm that really, really up on stuff of uh-huh. the last few years you know but um you know as i say i do hear good people and and interesting stuff and it's just not not of the caliber of uh you know of louis armstrong or sure or, you know of any of the greats elvis mm-hmm. james brown howling wolf Jimi hendrix right right you know i mean the last the last greats were all in the 60s really you think about brian wilson right you know, uh, a real, real, you know, he's probably at the top of the heap, and that's mm-hmm. a fact in terms of talent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I certainly got off into a tangent here, but I thought that was an interesting discussion. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. no, no doubt. Well, you're the one that mentioned uh, uh, Hendrix, Robin, and, and it's just, you know, you've probably heard this all, all your life that, you know, just just your style and, the, and um, at least some of the emotion that you capture through your music is yeah. reflect is reflective directly, really, with, with Hendrix. And, and I don't mean that as you play Hendrix music. I don't mean that quite at all. What I'm saying is that some of the emotion you capture is similar to, to – 
what what uh, you know what, what he was trying to do. And yeah, and well, the thing is that um, it's like I said earlier. You know, um, he created something that wasn't there before. Yeah, it's the same way James Brown did. You know, yeah. create something that wasn't there before. Hendrix, um, you know, you can't play the guitar now, electric guitar, mm-hmm. without you know, sort of taking on board what what he, some that new something that he brought to it, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, I mean, you can see his lineage uh, goes back through Hubert Sumlin with Howlin' Wolf and, and what have you, but nevertheless, he brought a whole, he kind of created a genre almost for the guitar, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. it's... Right. Uh, so, you, you, you know, you can sort of just go on playing uh, as though he never, never... Uh, happened, but <laughs> I yeah, couldn't. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> it was just too important. Well, sort of, uh, sort of tangent to that on on the Broken Barricades album, the track called uh, "Song for a Dreamer," which, which I think you wrote with uh, Keith Reed, uh, which was uh, Procol Harum's lyricist. And that was yep. that. That was just short. Could you say that that was a sh- uh, sort of a tribute to Jimi Hendrix? It was. It was written to be a, a tribute. To okay. Him, yeah. Me? That's yeah. Right. Okay. I mean, it was it was Keith's idea. He, uh-huh. he came out with a lyric, and then I, I found a piece of music that worked for it. You know. Very good. Yeah, you abs- when you were with Procol Harum, uh, you happened to play on the same bill with uh, Hendrix in uh, in Germany. Um, yeah, and that was just a few weeks before he died. Talk to us a little bit about that experience. What you saw, what you witnessed, and what was the vibe, uh, you know, during that uh, that that connection there. Um. Well, it it wasn't uh, Hendrix at his best. Uh-huh. You know, the band didn't seem to really work. Right. To be honest. But even saying that, and uh, the audience were booing and everything. But even say, saying that, you you still knew you were you were watching uh, a genius at work on the mm-hmm. guitar. You know, it just it was uh, even on an off night. It was, it was still very obvious. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Did you when you played that bill? Uh, were you on stage before his performance? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What kind of event was it? Was it just? Uh, it was what, a big uh, arena show, yeah. you know. Gotcha. Several acts on. Sure. Okay. Well, obviously that's uh, it, it. It obviously left an impact because, like you said, it's just one of those one of those guys that uh, you don't mind capturing a little bit of that emotion. You know. No, I mean it's like I say, he created a um, a new language mm-hmm. on the instrument. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's it. It's now become part of the vocabulary of everybody. Well, mm-hmm. practically, I say everybody. Right. You know, it's it's. it's influence people who have influenced people sort of thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wanted to ask you a question about uh, vocals. And when it comes to vocals, you've always been, have you always uh, been comfortable at, at lead vocals? I mean, your, your voice, you know, has so much character and it fits so well with your own melodies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, um, these songs in particular were written f- for me to sing. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. So, you know, the key key is right for me. And, right. and I think that's important, you know, really. It, mm-hmm. it, it, it even if you're not a great singer, which I don't pretend to be, I think if the song, if you've written it and it comes from the heart and it, and you're comfortable with it, then I think the audience is going to feel that. Mm-hmm. What do you do? I mean, as far as like, uh, we've asked some other vocalists this as well, but you know, when you tour um, and you're playing night after night, what do you do to protect, you know, maintain and, and exercise your vocal pipes? I mean, do you, do you have a warm-up regimen that you do before well, shows? I, I, uh, I don't do very much singing on tour, right, right. to be honest, because cause, uh, yeah, Davey does, yeah. you know, all the singing, really. Right. I mean, I, I do occasionally put in one one, uh, one of the songs that I sing from the new album, mm-hmm. uh, a song called Find a, Find a Place. But, mm-hmm. um, 
No, I mean, I, I don't think I could. I don't think I could do a lot of singing because I put so much energy into the the guitar. Sure, right. I'm not sure I'd get through a set if I was doing more than one or two songs. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, it's uh, it's something I enjoy doing. I mean, I I really do enjoy doing it. It's um, it's great great working in the studios uh, and you know putting down tracks yeah. to your own vocals. I sure. mean, I think it it makes recording quite easy, really. Right. I'm curious, um, Robin. I'd like to just ask you a question about uh, you know growing up in Essex. Um, you know, how, how young were you before you picked up a, a guitar, and, and how did that happen? Were your parents musical, or um, uh, how did you... well, I do sort of come from a musical family on uh -huh. my mother's side. Okay, my aunt, her brother was a band leader, had a dance band, you know, and their mother, my grandmother, was was a professional singer comedian on the music hall. Oh yeah, <laughs> singer comedian. So, so it's it's in the blood a bit, but yeah. um, you know, really, it was because of Elvis and Scotty Moore uh, that I wanted to play guitar. Really, and my, my my father brought me one for Christmas when I was about thirteen or fourteen. <laughs> Do you remember what model it was? What, what kind of guitar? It was it was a model. I don't know what model it was, but it's by by a company called Rosetti. Rosetti, interesting. <laughs> we're stepping back a little ways, and I wanted to ask you about uh, one of the first bands you were in called the Paramounts. Right. And that was uh, that was your first band, correct? Yeah. And that, how old were you at the time, 18 or 17 or 18 then? Yeah, I think we started it, I think when I was about 16 or uh -huh. something like that, 16. Okay. Seven. I'm not as familiar with the Paramounts. I don't think I've heard any. Did you, do you have recordings out there of the Paramounts? Yeah. Um, we were on Parlophone. Okay. Um, and recorded at Abbey Road. Okay. And um, I think there's only a couple of singles and B-sides out. Really? Um, yeah, but what I... There more tra tracks about, though, that I think we recorded more than that. Well, what I know about the band was the sound was, I guess you could say, a bit more R&B than it was rock. Is that right? Hmm. Well, I mean, uh, in our the set that we were doing, um, uh, and obviously um, this is early 60s you're talking about, we, right. we were doing mostly R&B. Uh-huh. You know, we would do a lot of James Brown and Bobby Bland. Yeah, sure. Were you performing mostly uh, covers with the Paramounts, or did you did you guys yeah. write did you write your own material? No, we didn't really write. Okay. No, uh, I think we may, Gary and I might have written the odd B side, but um, yeah, no, it's mostly as I say, it's mostly R and B we were doing. And um, looking back, you know, at, at that band and, and what you were doing, you know, with the guitar at that point, could you say that this early experience with the Paramounts helped to shape the sound that you kind of carried on from that point on? Oh yeah, that was definitely the beginnings of it. You yeah, know, because I, I was I was playing sort of blues influenced rhythm and blues soul music, you mm -hmm. know, and I I sort of do think of my my music as fundamentally being that combination, right? Mm -hmm. Of a, of blues in influenced music, blues exactly. influenced soul influence, yeah, right. very very James Brown influenced, you know. And then I, I started to be influenced by Howling Wolf quite a lot, and then Jimi Hendrix came along. And, Albert King and people like that, you know. Right, right. So you're getting infiltrated with all this, you know, James Brown and and uh, this R&B sound that's coming across the the lake there. And and who else around your perimeter? There are other bands uh, like the the Paramounts that were were uh, doing this, uh, sort of absorbing all of this music and this influence that was coming at. Who was who was uh, who was playing around the time? Um, well, other bands that were doing that kind of material were like Zoot Money. Uh huh. 
which the guitar player who went on to be in The Police was in. <laughs> okay. You're talking about Andy Summers? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, Georgie Fame was another band that was doing it. And then the Animals came along. They were doing it. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and obviously, uh, uh, say, for instance, a band like the Animals, once they had a hit single, maybe they did water it down a bit. But I think before that, they, they were sort of quite hardcore, sort mm, of right. blues, rhythm and blues kind sure. of stuff, you know. Right, exactly. Soon after that, I guess you were invited to to uh, take the lead guitar position at Procol Harum and when, when uh, Ray Royer uh, was replaced there. Yeah. And um, that was a very unique opportunity. How did that happen? How did you cross it? Was it Gary that Gary broke Yeah, I mean, that... uh, Gary, um, obviously, they, they weren't really happy with uh, the guitar player they uh -huh, had. Right. Or the drummer. Right. And decided to strengthen it. So they asked me and B.J. Wilson to replace them. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're not going to turn it down an offer like that when they're sort of number one worldwide. Yeah. And it was a very interesting project, you know. Mm -hmm. We made some very, very good records. Yeah. But, um, you know, it sort of allowed me to learn a bit more of skills and learn about recording and touring and all that. It was a, it was like a school for me, that being mm -hmm. in that band. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You were with them for five years. Hmm? Yeah. You know, shortly right after that, uh, you basically formed your your own band, and um, and you produced some actually some work. Your connection with Procol Harum actually continued with Matthew Fisher. Is that correct? That's right. I mean, Matthew uh, produced the first three albums mm -hmm. and did a wonderful job. Yeah, let's talk about Bridge of Size. That's obviously it's it's a huge album and. And, uh, you know, I was just listening to it just the other day and and uh, bringing it out. And I'm like, that is such an amazing piece of work of, you know, 1975. And uh, I, and then I started searching a little bit more for performances. And I found so much out there, Robin, of uh, video clips. And I found this one. Of course, it was a classic performance in San Francisco when you performed uh, Bridge of Size. And I must say that that's, it sort of just blew my mind. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, that, that, that was definitely a purple patch as far as writing goes mm -hmm, yeah. at that time. I think, um, you know, and I think something in the music and the lyrics did connect with people. But, of course, the biggest factor of why it was such a big album, why it, it, what I would call crossed over, yeah. mm -hmm. was because of James Dewar's vocals. Mm -hmm. When you perform that, you know, um, I don't know if you do it every night. My, my guess is yeah, you would. Yeah, I always play Bridge of Size. When you perform that every single night, how does this? How does the song change? You know, it's uh, it's just like, you know, sometimes I see some, I hear some songs, and I'm like, man, that song has a life in itself. Does does it take on that same feel? I think it has. Yeah, I think it has. I think um, once you start it, it does tend to play itself. Mm -hmm. I mean, there there is a demand. You can't just sort of sit back and yeah, you know, you, you you've got to energize it. Yeah, you know, you're just always trying to play it great. Right. And I think that's that's what um, gives it its life, really. I was just curious about songs that you've written, you know, uh, you know, thirty plus years ago. Right. Um, 
and you're still performing them now. Have you, you know, obviously I, I, I was around 30 years ago, but not old enough to go to concerts, but, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but I was just curious to know, uh, have, have your arrangements of some of those songs, say just take Bridge of Size, for example, have the arrangements changed over the years? Have you, have you tried to stay true to the, you know, uh, original performances from the mid seventies or, or have you changed? Yeah, you know, you know, the old saying, if it ain't broke, don't fi- fix it. So you stick yeah. to it, right? You yeah. Say, oh, I mean, okay. it, if it works great, then, you yeah. know, yeah, let's face it. You're lucky to have, have written something that works great. Right, right. <laughs> Never mind about messing about with it. I was just no curious because you know Eddie and I we we go to a lot of concerts together, and we you know we like to go see a lot of bands who've you know been performing for twenty, thirty years, and yeah. And it's interesting to hear how I guess if, sometimes I just feel like maybe the band gets a little bit bored with playing the same song night right. after night, so they change the arrangement to give it a, some new life. Well, to be honest, those those things that I play are not easy that you can't just coast through them. Right, right. You know, they are a challenge to play. Sure, definitely. <laughs> you know, there's a power to them. Um, yeah. You know, um, so you're always, they they keep you on your toes, you know. If you're going to pull it off, you've, you, yeah. you know, you've got to really be there. Sure. Even as challenging as they are, do you and the band, when you feel like you're tight with the band, do you do any type of improvisation uh, when you're on stage with, uh, with the guys? Well, yeah. I mean, uh, the whole, I mean, Bridge of Size goes into sort of a very long improv. Right, right, right. Very, very long. And, uh, you know, that gives me a chance to sort of really um, freeform for a bit. That's cool. <laughs> Good. Well, it seems to me as if um, any of your, your most wonderful works, such as Bridge of Size, that none of those could have been performed without uh, one of the best tools out there, a Fender Stratocaster. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so tell us about your guitars. You know, uh, there's just such there's such a richness of, uh, of even, even you know, about the, the, the signature series that came out. Uh, what's been your relationship with Fender, and when, when did that start? That's a neat story. Well, I think, um, you know, obviously I've been playing since the 70s but I about 15 odd years ago mm-hmm. I struck up a relationship with um, the, the Fender factory mm-hmm. in fact when I went to them they, they were they almost had gone out of business really and really? they were being run by the, the work the workers wow and it, it had sort of gone down to to practically nothing but there was a guy there called John Grunder who who would take bits and pieces off off of the assembly line and and put together guitars for me. Interesting. And I think I think you know from then I, I've always had a great relationship with them and uh, and now they've sort of come back r- right up now they're, they're huge again. Um they have a custom shop there and there's there's mm-hmm. a guy there Todd Todd Krauss that, that actually builds uh my um signature models for me. Wow. Uh, and that that sort of together we we sort of decided what what bits and pieces we've had we'd, we'd have on it. Is he the only craftsman that plays on you, or that actually makes that that guitar? Is he the only craftsman? He he's the only one there that makes them for me. But if you're if you're buying one, they're, they're made by you know they're made by a few people there. Yeah. You know, if you're buying a, a, a one of my signature model strats, right. they're, they're made at the custom shop anyway. But sure, um, you know, Todd is 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 someone that builds guitars for particular people. Yeah. Was Todd also involved in the, the design and the uh, the 30th anniversary Bridge of Size uh, Yeah, uh, that's edition? right, yeah. 
That's cool. You know, I, I have a question for you. This uh, in the early '80s, you you hooked up with uh, former Cream bassist Jack Bruce to form a band called BLT, which yeah. was uh, Bruce Lord and, and Trower. And and uh, Bruce has been one of the most influential bassists. You know, aspiring guys mm-hmm. like Sting mm-hmm. and he, and Jaco Pastorius. And I'm just curious how you guys connected. Mm-hmm. Well, I was always a big fan of him. I like Cream a lot. Yeah. And um, you know, but particularly Jack. Jack singing was always uh, it was not me out, you know. Yeah, yeah. And um, on an off chance, I, I sort of got in touch with him, played him some song ideas that I had, and he was interested. Mm-hmm. So you know, we we did a couple of albums together, and um, I, I'm just a big, big fan of of his bass and vocals. Yeah, you guys uh, still maintain a, a pretty good relationship, right? As a matter of fact, I think uh, aren't you going out on tour with him later this year? That's right. Yeah, yeah we, we had an album out about 18 months ago called Seven Moons. Uh-huh. Mm. Oh, right, right. Did you tour with that, uh, with Seven Moons? Well, we have done four dates in Europe oh, okay. earlier this year together. Yeah. Uh, and we're doing 10 dates in the summer together. So we're, we're touring it. That, that's basically what we play is Seven Moons. Mm-hmm. That's neat. Um, you're uh, also on on this tour, I think, with Jack Bruce later on. You're, you've also teamed up with Gary Husband, who is a former uh, or does used to do work with uh, Level Forty Two, I believe. Yes, that's right. Yeah, Gary's so. a tremendous, tremendous player. Oh, he's, yeah. he's amazing. He, yeah. he's, he's got some of the fastest hands I've ever seen on any drummer. <laughs> no <I>, doubt. <laughs> yeah, it's a joy to play with those guys. I can tell you, absolute joy. Yeah. You know, I was looking over your discography, and what I immediately noticed is that since uh, 1967, you know, when you were, you know, with Procol Haram, you, you've been creating and releasing music on, on just about an annual basis, and, and there were a few breaks here and there, but I'm just curious to know how you stay motivated and how deep you have to dig to keep your music yeah. fresh f- for yourself. <laughs> well, the thing is, I'm, I'm blessed with the gift of creativity, thank God. Uh, so it means that ideas just keep coming. And, you know, if you're writing songs, once you've got four or five, you start to think, I, I need to, to record these, you know, mm. and then I need to write a few more to to make a CD. So that's how it goes. It just keeps on coming, you know. I mean, I've I've got almost enough material now yeah. for another CD, and I'm already <laughs> planning... How I'm going to go about making it, you know. Wow. I don't think your music's going to ever stop coming through the factory, huh? I hope not. But, uh, you know, while it's there, I'm going to keep going. Well, that's good for you. You know, I have a question regarding um, different fan bases. Obviously, you're very, very um, uh, well-traveled here in the uh, United States. And uh, you've come here, th- you know, through so many times and in Europe. My question is this, you know, comparing the music appetites of the European fans and the American fans, what, what differences are? Uh, I, I sometimes feel like American fans are so oblivious to some, some types of music and, and they let go of it too, too quickly and, of course, subscribe to the new notion of, of what's hot type of music. But what, what kind of differences are you finding, you know, in, through the years and what's changed with their appetites? Well, you see, I can only judge it by uh, the response that I get. Mm-hmm. Which is? Uh, which is no different. Hmm. So, um, you see, uh, that that audience that comes to see me, that what what you're saying doesn't really apply to them, it, as far as my music is concerned. Sure. Yeah, their yeah. fans are fans. You know, yeah. they, they, they might uh, have dropped people they liked several years ago and decided... <laughs> You know that that they 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 needed something else from music, uh, but right. certainly I haven't felt that uh, from the people that are coming to see me. Mm-hmm. 
you probably traveled so 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 heavily and toured heavily that uh, do you ever get a chance to I mean you you do clinics you you train you teach that type of thing or no I'm not I, I I did some many years ago I did I did a, a sort of a teaching video which really was I'm not really cut out to be a teacher but uh-huh. showed a few things but um, no I don't even know how I do it. But I do anyway, so I, I, I couldn't tell anybody else. <laughs> well, I, mean, I was just asking because, you know, chances are so many people are learning from you. I'm sure that there's an uh, amazing, you know, upcoming artists and guitarists that just m- mimic your playing and they try to see what's Robin doing. So from a technical perspective, you're teaching people whether you're not teaching them, you know? Well, the thing is I'm, I'm always trying to move on anyway, so um, I don't hang around in one spot yeah. long enough to to work it out really because mm-hmm. you know you're continually striving but i mean it's great it's great and it's an honor to think that that you might have influenced other other players yeah mm-hmm. well you've influenced us we're big fans neither of us are guitar players but we love your music and uh we we really thank you for spending time with us here today absolutely and it's I, been my pleasure i just have uh one, just wanted to mention one more thing our our audience is pretty international we've got fans you know that listen listeners to our show uh, all over yeah. and i wanted to know your album what lies beneath uh, that's not out yet, correct? I think it's out uh, maybe uh, two two weeks, something like yeah, that. Yeah, I thought it was coming up pretty soon. Yeah, so. 14th yeah although it is available on my website. Yeah, and that's trowerpower.com, correct? That's right. Okay, Wonderful. and great. So check that out there. And, uh, and we again, thanks for uh, joining us on Inside Music Cast, and hopefully uh, we can stay in touch and catch up with you in the future. Thanks, guys. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. It's been an honor to have you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. 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 Special thanks to Robin Trower for joining us on this episode of Inside Music Cast. Be sure to join us again next week as Inside Music Cast welcomes back Crosby Loggins to chat about his upcoming album, Time to Move. For more information about Inside Music Cast, check out our website at InsideMusicCast.com. You can also find us on Facebook and MySpace. We'd love to hear from you, and we always take our listeners' input and suggestions into consideration. So drop us an email anytime at input at InsideMusicCast.com. For Eddie Cabello, I'm Rick Such. Thanks for listening to Inside Music Cast.